I'm Pastor Phil. I, you've probably never seen me at this service, hardly at all. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, semi-retired. I work here. I teach Bible classes twice a week, and I also have a, a widow and widowers group that meets twice a month. And I go around to churches in our area where they're without pastors, small country churches, and I, I fill in on Sundays. <clears throat> and I guess I call myself semi-retired, although it's becoming less and less semi. Uh, I, um, it, I'm, I come from another generation, I realize that. I'm accustomed to preaching in a pulpit. <clears throat> when I started in the ministry more than 50 years ago, <clears throat> I remember... The pulpit was uh, understood this way. There was a pulpit that had a plaque on it. It was a quote from the Gospel of John, and the plaque said, Sir, we would see Jesus. So that every time a pastor stepped into the pulpit, <clears throat> he was aware that he was responsible to present Jesus to the people in the congregation. That's his primary task. Not to entertain, not to whatever, but to present Jesus. And and you do, we see that here, and I want to continue that. Um, <clears throat> and would you join me now in, in a prayer as we prepare? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, I came here around noon, and I couldn't find a parking place. There were three parking spaces left, way over in the far corner of the parking lot. So the place was packed. It was the farewell for Pastor Ben on his last Sunday here. And I have never seen the parking lot so full. Why was the parking lot so full? A free meal. Excellent meal, pulled pork, all the trimmings. Why was the church so full? A free meal at church. When there's a potluck supper or a free dinner, everybody shows up. In fact, that's what Isaiah is talking about in this lesson for today, a free meal. Here's what he says, Isaiah 55. Hey, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's a free meal. And he invites us to this free meal saying, come taste the spiritual food that God offers you. Now the words he uses, he speaks of free wine, milk, and refreshing water, but these physical things, as so often in the scripture, Physical things represent our metaphors for something spiritual. And the physical food represents God giving himself to us. All spiritual life is simply a relationship to God. He gives us spiritual life. That's where it comes from. I can remember to use this thing. Okay. Well, I haven't done something. That's the title. Okay. And so that's, that's the message. Lord, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine, milk, and without money, without price. And that wine, milk, and honey, that is a spiritual relationship to God. 
Now, he goes on to say, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Truth is, most people don't really understand what God's spiritual food is. We prefer food from the refrigerator. We are a nation of consumers who buy a lot of material things, but I suspect that underneath it all, we are starving spiritually. Years ago, I remember reading an article from a paper in Chicago about the poor, the very poorest of the poor. When their hunger pains got so bad and there wasn't any food, they would eat soap. Soap you'd use in your dish, your, your, your washing your clothes. They would eat soap to quench the physical pains. The poor ate soap, what isn't food, to quench hunger pains. Are we trying to quench spiritual hunger pains, a hunger for God with material things? Many people don't even realize they have a spiritual hunger for God. We buy all kinds of things, but we're still spiritually empty. And so Isaiah asks, why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? It doesn't meet your spiritual need for God. We live in a consumer society where physical things are far more important than spiritual things. Over the past decade, the church attendance has dropped. And so um, it seems to me that church, what it has done is to try to bring people back to church by treating people as consumers, religious consumers. And when did this consumer approach to religion begin? Well, it began back long, 50 years ago. When I was a student, I remember reading more than 50 years ago something in Newsweek or, or uh, Time about a young pastor, an innovative young pastor who was attracting hundreds of people to his church and he had a unique worship service. They met in a drive-in theater and everybody would pull up and back in those days you put that old speaker thing into your window. You remember that? You probably don't. And, and, and he stood on the roof of the projection center and he would preach and they could sit in the cars and listen to him talk. And um, it was very convenient. Um, people, they liked to do this because it was easy. They didn't have to dress up. They could just stay in their cars. When the service was over, they were off and could make use of the rest of the Sunday. This innovative young pastor from Garden Grove, California, was Robert Schuler. His broadcast was called The Hour of Power. And the church he eventually built was known as the Crystal Cathedral. And here's how Robert Schuler described his ministry. And this is the part of the article that really stuck with me. He said, to be a successful church, you have to regard people as consumers who come to church to get a religious product, a message that can help me be happier and more satisfied here and now. It's for this life you have to help people. Your best life now, as someone once said. When Shula said the church has to market religion like a store, he could have been talking about Walmart. And because it was about that time that Sam Walton's Walmart started to kick off, he started off in in um, Arkansas, and about that same time, Walmart was starting to spread all across the country. And under the influence of Walmart and Kmart and stores like that, we have become 
a consumer nation. And what drives our consumerism is summed up in three words, meet my needs. Schuler's Innovative Church picked up on that theme and offered his worshipers everything and anything religious. He was going to compete with Walmart, offer people all kinds of religious and spiritual products. And what does that consumer-oriented church look like? What do they offer? The religious message is all about meeting our present needs. Typical would be a sermon on how to have a better marriage, or a six sermons on how to find a happy life, or a sermon series on how to face stress. Preach something that will help people in this world here and now. Meet my needs. The consumer-oriented church presides something for all ages, for fun things for kids to do, activities for adults. Meet the needs of all ages. A church that responds to the cry, meet my needs. Not only that, it's not only the big churches, the mega churches, but it's small rural congregations that are trying to treat people as consumers so they can get people to come back to church. I serve two small churches in rural downstate Illinois. And I recently just checked the Facebook page on these two little churches. And it was filled with pictures of children playing games, adults drinking coffee and playing bingo, having a good time. And this little country church had learned that if you're going to bring people into church, you have to meet their needs and provide a happy experience when they come to church. That'll take care of their present concerns in this life. And whatever you do, never preach something that upsets people. Meet my needs is the heart of consumerism. And it's affected our churches, large and small. Urban churches, small country churches, they all respond to this same demand. Meet my needs. And we all see where this religion is heading, but there's something wrong with the church that's all about serving people's needs. What about God's place in the church? Some time ago, I was driving into the Quad Cities on I-74, and I, going down 74 past 53rd Avenue Street exit, I, I, I passed what a store that was on the left-hand side. I had gone in there earlier. It was one of the really fancy stores that provided high-end technology equipment, cell phones, all kinds of unbelievably expensive stuff. I just looked. I never bought. And now this church, this, this, this building that has, was there to meet my needs, was now turned into a church. And the sign across the top of that church was what you see on the screen, Corum Deo. It's a Latin phrase. It's very familiar for, to me because Luther often used that to describe our relationship to God, Corum Deo. Corum Deo simply means before God, that our whole life is lived before God in his presence. And I was totally surprised to see those words on a store that had been there for consumers now calling people 
to stand before God. And when they say that, they're saying, you have a relationship with God. You were meant for heaven. And our consumer nation cries out, meet my needs. But the Bible turns it all upside down. It's about God, not us. Isaiah tells us we stand before God when he asks, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which is not satisfy? God offers us spiritual food, and we focus on material things. C.S. Lewis said, we can focus in either two directions. We either focus on heaven or we focus on earth, and that our primary attention is on this earth. And so if we focus on the earth, we tend to ignore heaven. And if we do that, if we focus solely on earth and ignore heaven, then earth becomes for us the outskirts of hell. And if we focus on heaven as more important than earth, our relationship to God more important, then for us, earth becomes the outskirts of heaven. Isaiah asks us, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You are so focused on this earthly life, Isaiah said to his people, it's leading you away from God. And finally, to eternal separation from God. Coram Deo, to stand before God, has a very specific result. Let me give you two examples from the Bible. When we stand before God, we see that we are cut off from him. We're separate. The sin is described as separation from God. And when we stand before God, that's what we tend to see. The first is Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah had a vision of God in his temple, and, and his response was, I am a man of unclean lips, standing in the presence of a holy God. He was so totally aware of his sin in the presence of God. The second is Peter. When he, was, uh, when he stood before Jesus, Jesus had told Peter, Jesus had used Peter's boat and said, I'm going to preach to people from the boat. And when he was done, he said, Peter, let's go out into the lake and cast your nets. And Peter says, Lord, we've been out there all night. Last night, we caught absolutely nothing. All right, if you say so. So they went out. And they cast their nets overboard, and they brought in so much fish, they had to put it in two boats, and the boat started to sink. And when this happened, Peter fell down on his knees before Jesus and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter had strayed from God, and he saw his unholiness as he stood before Jesus. Let me give you a third example. This is... As a pastor, I've experienced this a number of times. When I, was a, when I meet a stranger and we get to talking and they ask me what I do, some, I'll say, I'm a pastor. And some folks suddenly change their behavior. They act guilty and they protest. I, you know, I, I haven't been in church in a long time. I used to go, but for some reason, I just haven't recently. I've long since learned that people react to me as pastor, in this role as pastor, because I represent God to them. I know I'm a sinner, but in this role, I represent God. 
And talking to a pastor, they suddenly realize how far they are from God at that moment. We are focused on earth, and we've forgotten heaven. And this is the gospel for us who have forgotten God. Jesus comes to us on the cross with his arms wide open, crucified. And he says, God loves you, even though you've ignored him, turned your back on him. And he says, return to the Lord your God. That's the theme of Lent. Return to God. Focused on this earth and our concerns and our desire for things, Jesus cries out, Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful. And what happens when we return to God? We develop an attitude of reverence. Reverence is turning to heaven, to what is holy, to God as the purpose of my life. Reverence before God is the opposite of consumerism, meet my needs. Let me give you two pictures of reverence. The first is from when I was a little boy, probably five years old, and worshiped in a little white-framed Lutheran church in the cornfields of northern Iowa. I remember watching my 80-some-year-old great-grandfather, Ferdinand Banke, walk up the aisle to go to Holy Communion. He was very, um, he was very dignified. He was very devout. And when he came to the altar, he bowed like this before the altar. It showed that this was a holy moment for him. And I knew from the very way he acted, he was telling the world and God, I bow before you, my God and my Lord. Second picture of reverence came from the summer of 2020 when we were we, the church has been closed, you know, from March of 2020 into about July. We opened the doors again. And I was here early that first morning. The sanctuary is empty. And uh, one man, whom I had known for years, ever since I've been in Sterling, came down the aisle. And he almost was running. And he knelt at the altar. And he collapsed. He bowed his hands, bowed his head and clasped his hands and began to pray. There was an urgency in his approach to the altar, as, is, as if his actions were saying, Lord, I've longed to come to worship these past months. I've missed standing in your presence in this holy place. Reverence is standing before God, quorum Deo, and to recognize I'm in God's presence. But reverence isn't just an outward appearance of what you see. Reverence has an inner resource, an inner meaning. A, a, deep for, a deep desire for God is what I'm talking about, and it's not the same as meet my needs. It's an awareness that I have within me a deep longing. When God comes to me in Christ and pours out his love, he awakens in me a desire for God. The Holy Spirit does that. And I reverently open my life to him and invite him to come into my heart. And that's what the great commandment is all about. It calls us to love God. And, and, and there's one three-letter word that's so important in that commandment. is love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love for God is a total surrender. And that is the source of true reverence. It's not merely the outward appearance. It's that I'm drawn to God from within. It is a total surrender of all my life to God. It was in the hymns that Danny led us in singing today. God is the only one worthy of my total devotion. How can things ever take that place? We have lost, what we have lost in consumerism is reverence. Consumerism says, meet my needs. Reverence says, I love you, Lord, with all my heart. It is the heart of Christian worship. It is a total travesty to turn a place of worship into a consumer's market where we demand of God that he meets our needs. Isaiah invites us, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy, eat, come, buy, wane, milk, without money, without price. Come to me, God says, and I will fill your heart with my presence. What God freely offers us is something spiritual. He offers us himself. We are drawn to him. We must recover reverence for God and turn from the religious consumerism that's taking over the church. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, let us continue our time together by praying for the whole people of God and for all people according to their needs. Lord, I am so grateful that you have given us your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have